Hi, I'm Terry Zabolski, pastor of Grace Community Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I'd like to thank you for listening to this week's message. I hope and trust that God's Word is a blessing to you as you live for Him each and every day. Take uh, your sermon outline, if you will, and uh, I've entitled this morning's message, uh, A Look at Jesus' Family Tree. Take your Bible, look at Matthew's Gospel. We can start there and at the very beginning, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. As we're going to look there, and we're going to look uh, then in Luke 3 a little bit later. Well, most of us, I dare say most of us, don't know very much about our ancestors. I mean, some of you may say, well, my great, 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 whatever came over on the Mayflower. I've heard people say that. And that's probably true. Some did come over with that little band. But the reality is, is that most of us know very little. It's a funny phenomenon of life, don't you think? You, can, you know your, your parents, probably, and you know your grandparents, probably, but Maybe, maybe a great, great grandparent, but it is rare if you do that, and it's almost an eclipse past that. It's like total blackness on knowing anything of your family. Seems to be true. Uh, there's a good chance, you know, that many of our forefathers were less than sterling. Would you agree with that? Yeah. They're probably uh, jailmates and jailbirds and uh, all kinds of derelicts and crumbs. And, and we stand on the top of this mountain of <laughs> depraved humanity. And it's probably a good thing. We don't know. We, we, we feel good about ourselves and, uh, you know, what we don't know. Ignorance is bliss. You ever hear that? And if you ever heard of your great, 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 great and what he did, you'd probably die a thousand deaths and think that somehow you... I must be adopted, you know, you ever ask your parents that. Uh, but uh, the truth is we don't probably want to know much about our family tree. I think in my own life, uh, I, I know my uh, father's, I knew my father's father, uh, and he was the 13th child born of a German couple that came over from Germany on the boat in 1890. Uh, the first 11 were born in Germany, he and his uh, brother, number 12, he was 13, the last, 13, were born here in the States. Um, and he was so small, the story was told, uh, as a preemie, they put him in the oven and turned it on, uh, whatever kind of oven they had, to keep it warm while he was just a baby. How about that for an incubator? Half-baked, that's the crew I came from. <laughs> turned out to be an engineer. Yeah, half the Germans were engineers, you know, all they know is math. They don't talk much, but they know how to add and how to design. My father was an engineer by training as well. But uh, uh, he ended up in, inventing, uh, he worked for an amusement company back uh, the early Hershey Park, you know, Alan Herschel and, uh, Amusements. And actually, he patented two, uh, two rides. And some of you will know, uh, almost none of you will know the one, the Caterpillar. I'm sure nobody remembers that anymore. Those are long gone. <gasps> Bob, you remember that? Or Lenny? That would, that would cover, it would go around, and that was his. And you'll, most of you will know this one, the, uh, the bumper car with the thing, with the electric thing on top. That was uh, my grandfather, my dad's dad's design at Alan Herschel Amusement. And they wrote them up in the Americana magazine, which they don't make anymore. But uh, he was a horrible father. <laughs> he was. Shipped his only son off to military school when he was in seventh grade in Missouri. My father called it misery. Imagine that. Uh, divorced in a day when no one was ever divorced. My father never even... It was sad, hardly ever knew his mother. Here's the saddest story of the whole thing. My mother told it when my grandmother died. Um, my father went into the funeral home, Wattengale Funeral Home, that night. He and my mother, 
There were a couple bodies that were laid out, different rooms. What a sad story. He was actually in the wrong room looking down at a woman in tears in the Bill Wattengill, the funeral director, had to come in. Now, how would you do that? Uh, Ed, that's not your mother. She's, is that sad or what? That caused tears when my mother told that story. That's a so t- terrible family, sort of, that I came from. And, and then when he died, it was even worse. I mean, his hand was turning black. He was screaming at my father. He's going to hell. I have no reason to think he was ever saved. And that's as far back as I know on that side. And I go like, I don't want to even know anything <laughs> beyond that. You know what I'm saying? On my mother's side, it wasn't much better. Uh, you know, I, uh, I, I forget. I'm not even going to tell you. <laughs> you know, it's just, <laughs> it's just like that, right? I mean, we could pass the mic around and die a thousand deaths. But it's a good thing. The good news is you don't know back many generations. And amen, aren't you glad of that? I go like, this is incredible. But that's, uh, that's our family tree. Well, we don't know very much. We're probably glad we don't, so on and so forth. Well, however, it's far different. Let me say this to you. It's far different uh, if you claim to be a king. Okay? It's far different. I mean, here we're sort of profane Americans and, and poo-poo King George and the royal line of the Brits, and we think it's funny that people give their life to studying who's next lined up to be the king and who's second and who's third. We go like, could there be anything more worthless to study and to know than that? We Americans who could care less about royalty uh, in this uh, republic, we call it a a democracy, it's not really a democracy, but it's a republic that we live in, right? Right? But if you claim to be king, I got news for you, Uh, especially if you claim to be the king of kings, your family tree is all important. It's extremely important. So we have to go to school as Americans that are rather profane and learn this. You see, you must be able, I have it on your sheet, you must be able to trace your lineage and demonstrate that you, in fact, are the legitimate heir, the legitimate one to the throne. Well, we celebrate Christmas as a time when Jesus, the promised king, do you remember that? The wise men came to Herod and said, where is this? Or Herod went to his wise men and said, where is this one who would be born who was king of the Jews? And they knew it was Micah 5.2, oh, Bethlehem, Ephrata. Jesus, the promised king, was born in Bethlehem. His family tree uh, is uh, of utmost importance. God had foretold the details of it years earlier. And notice the two lineages that are given to us in Scripture in the Word of God, God's wonderful Word. If you think about it, um, you, all of us have two family trees that sort of intersect at your parents. And there you are. You've got your mother's whole line and you have your father's whole line. And so Scripture presents two lineages of the Lord Jesus Christ And they shout with us a number of wonderful encouragements, lessons, if you will, things that we can learn, again, about the wonder of uh, the coming of Christ at Christmas as seen through his family tree. Listen, you, you do not have to believe in the virgin birth to be saved. You hear me? When I was saved at seven, I, I don't know that I heard of it. I probably sang Silent Night and all that. Didn't know what it was, didn't have a clue. Didn't really know what a virgin, what Mary a virgin. In fact, when I first heard the facts of life, I said, uh-uh. I said, uh-uh. I, and that was later, you know. That was later. I had no idea. You don't have to believe in the virgin birth to be saved. But, get this, you cannot be saved if it is not true. You can be saved and not believe in because you'd be ignorant. Maybe you don't know. Maybe you never heard about that part of God's wonderful story. But you and I cannot be saved if the virgin birth is not true. Because we would have, in fact, a Savior who was just a man if he came in the ordinary process of human procreation. He would not be God. He would be proven a liar. He could die for no one. 
In fact, uh, for his own sin, he would die. That's the importance of the virgin birth. And God thought so much of it that he wanted us with care to note the lineage, the family tree in which the promised king would come to be born of the Virgin Mary there in Bethlehem. Well, three uh, great encouragements, and they really are, as we examine Jesus' lineage. Matthew gives us Joseph's family tree showing his royalty. Whereas Luke, in his gospel, provides Mary's uh, family tree showing the Davidic bloodline, all important. In fact, did you know today that no one could ever demonstrate that they were the promised Christ, the Messiah? No one today. It's impossible for anyone to do that. The temple was destroyed, all the genealogical records were destroyed and burned up, and nobody could today. It's like God saying, I'm done with that. The Lord Jesus has already come, and in 70 A.D., the temple was destroyed, and, uh, and Christ the Lord is the promised one, and no one could even offer that argument today. They could not prove it. Well, the first great encouragement is simply this. Our God is a God of details. See his hand in the smallest of things. The closer you look at what God does, the more amazed you will be. I say that to you over and over and over again. The closer you look at what God does, the more amazed you will be. The difference between something good and something excellence is attention to detail. And our God is the master of it. The master of it. I submit to you creation. You look at the glory of what God has made in this universe, this created universe. And it fits together more intricately than the most incredible Swiss timepiece or any other thing. The double helix and the genetic code and, and all of it. I had a joy of talking with Bob the other night, Dr. Albright, on, on, uh, on even the H2O molecule and how the, those uh, cling together. What did you say, Bob? Ten of them uh, together? Twenty. The intricacy of the created universe whether you look in the vast astrophysics and the movement of the heavenly bodies and the distance of the sun, and it's just, God just didn't say, I'll just throw a bunch of stuff up there, you know? Hey, it's moving around. I didn't know that. It's exactly precise right to where it is. The earth and the seasonal changes, uh, even the atmospheric pressure uh, at sea level, you know, if we couldn't even survive if we went down a couple hundred feet in water. The pressure on our bodies and all the rest. I mean, it's perfect. It's perfect. The moon and all that it provides for the sun, the microscopic, the things of life, our bodies, animal life. I mean, God even blesses life with that. Pets and creatures that cause us wonder and awe at the variety and the complexity of what God has made. And we ought to be filled with awe and wonder at that. It's amazing. Sarah's going to have a baby this week, and, and I've read different uh, physicians talk about it's almost impossible when you think of the probability of the conception process. It's just incredible, that, that whole process. And there begins a, a brand new human being. It's marvelous. Fingerprints and nails and systems of the body and, and the eyes. You know, Dr. Harvey has a chance to be an ophthalmologist, study the eyes, how wonderful that is. The ears, they're funneled forward. Have you noticed that? No, I funnel them backwards. Faith thinks, I can't hear that well anymore. Mine are backwards like this. She said this morning, do you hear the wind? I go like, I don't hear it. <laughs> but they're there, you know? I mean, they're there. The creation, don't miss it. God is a God of detail. More than that, Scripture 
It is marvelous. God's holy and wonderful word, it fits together. It's the closer you look, the more amazed you will be. And even in life, in your life, and this is where I'm going with this, God is a God of detail in your life. The day you were born, the families you were raised in, the gifts and the abilities, the opportunities, all these things, all of these things, the happenstance and things of life, we say chance. There's no chance. There's no plan B. It's all plan A. And God unfolds this drama of redemptive history and plays out in this world uh, the vapor of our life. I'm telling you, he's a God of detail. even has a plan that includes the willful, sinful acts of men and women, and yet God works in them and through them and, and, and brings about his ending result. It's marvelous. It's far beyond us. But then, aren't most things? I can't hardly remember Spanish. I studied it for years. Yo hablo espanol. A few other phrases. That's about it. I, I, you know, it's name, rank, and maybe social security number. You know, most things are beyond us. We'll talk about that even more later. God is amazing in your life and in mine. Well, the two genealogies shout this to us. In fact, a the two genealogies are necessary, absolutely necessary for Jesus to claim his rightful place to the throne. Well, what do I mean? Well, first, Matthew, and I remind you, he's writing his gospel to the Jews. He's writing it showing that Jesus is the promised Messiah of the Old Testament. He begins with the genealogy, chapter 1, verse 1, because it's of chief importance to the Jews. You see, all Jews would ask the very first of Jesus, is he a descendant of David through the rightful line of succession? And Matthew answers that right at the get-go, yes. Because if he's not, why waste any more time reading this gospel that's been written to the Jews? They wouldn't have bothered. It's fictitious. It's false. And so right at the very beginning, he knows what they're thinking. He lays out the family tree of the Lord Jesus. Matthew connects in his gospel, Abraham, who is the father of the Jews, remember Genesis 12, and David, King David, who was, the, who was promised a son in 2 Samuel chapter 7, a son who would reign forever on his throne, he connects both Abraham and David with Jesus. He begins, look at uh, in verse 1, a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, that's a messianic term, the son of Abraham. These are not just extra words put in. These are like neon lights flashing to all Jews who would read this, the very first verse of the New Testament. He begins with Abraham, verse 2. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob. And he goes right down through until he comes to verse 6. And then it's David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. That's Bathsheba. He goes on and continues until he comes to verse 16. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary of whom was born Jesus, who was called Christ. Matthew traces Jesus' lineage through Solomon. Did you see Solomon's name in, in verse 6? That's a detail you don't want to miss. And the God who is ever so occupied with details, it is the lineage of Jesus uh, through Solomon. It is the royal line by adoption through Joseph. That's Matthew's whole purpose in giving the lineage. Luke, and keep your finger in Matthew, but look over at Luke's gospel, chapter 3. Notice it's not the very first uh, words of his gospel account. Luke is not writing to exclusively or near so to the Jews. Luke, Dr. Luke, is writing to Gentiles. Luke is a, a Gentile. He's, a, he's the beloved physician. Paul calls him that, a medical doctor. And he is writing uh, to all people everywhere. It's 
more universal in scope than Matthew's gospel, if you will. And uh, he, uh, he gives Mary's lineage in giving 76 names in this family tree. And uh, his is uh, more dramatic in this regard. He begins from Mary and works backwards. I mean, you want to tap him on the shoulder and say, Luke, how far are you going back? And he does that uh, in, uh, in verse 23. Now, Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was the son of, or so it was thought, underline that. That's a key expression we'll look at in a moment of Joseph, and he goes on to begin to go backwards, and he comes, I'll call your attention to verse 31, uh, to uh, the son of Nathan, circle that, that's a key, that's a detail that you do not want to miss. The next phrase, the son of David, the son of Jesse, here's the key on this. Um, Nathan, he's tracing it back through a different bloodline. This is the bloodline of Mary going back not to Solomon, David's son, but to Nathan, David's other son. It's his third son through Bathsheba. And this is the bloodline that flowed right to Mary in fulfillment to the Davidic covenant God's covenant with David that he would have one who would be born, a greater than he would rule and reign forever. And then he goes on from verse 31 and traces, you'll even notice verse 36 has Noah. Remember when all the human race was reduced down to eight? Noah, his wife, his three sons and their wives. Noah is mentioned, Seth, uh, Shem, then Noah. And then if you flip the page, if you have the same Bible I do, it traces it back to Seth and then to Adam. He goes all the way back through the generations in a universal understanding in the presentation of his gospel to Adam, who is the father of all humanity. And so Luke writes his gospel for the world, tracing Jesus' line Back to Adam, for Jesus is the second Adam, the seed of the woman from the Christmas in Genesis, Genesis 3.15. Nathan and Solomon, they're the two pivotal points of the two different genealogies, both sons of David. Well, the Lord is involved in the details. I mean, oftentimes, we'll hear it in life, won't we? When you're looking at contracts and things, they'll say, well, the devil is in the details. And, and we know what they mean by that. Read, read the details because they're going to give it to you and they're going to take it away in the details and maybe you won't even read it. I don't know. Have you ever read, uh, if you have a credit card, do you ever read the details of the stuff they send? Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I, I have the American Express card in the... Uh, they send out some amendments and stuff. I look at the front thing, and uh, I just, I don't, I don't read it. And, and they could have me there. The devil could be in the detail. I could be, you know, I don't know. I like that because you have to pay it off every three weeks, so I don't have anything to carry forward. But, uh, you know, really it's not true. The devil's in the detail. Ultimately and finally, God is in the details. In the details, not only of creation, in the Word as we see it here, but in all of your life, all of it, all of it, all of it. God is in the details of your life and mine. We know that. Paul put it this way, Romans 8.28, for we know that all things work together, all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are the called according to the purpose. All things doesn't leave anything out. That includes all the details of your life and mine. That means bad reports from the doctor, circumstances at work and in families, at school, whatever they are, God is working His purposes in the details. And we see it here in the details of even the genealogy of Jesus. Listen, the Lord had people that hated Him. 
The Pharisees and the Sadducees hated him. Do you not think for a moment that they didn't rush to the genealogical record? If they could have found that he was not of this line, they would have exposed him utterly. That would have ended any and all following of this one who was the Christ. It would have ended it. But the scriptures are completely silent. They couldn't. They knew that they couldn't say a word about that because he was of the line and lineage of David, adopted the royal line through Joseph as his father, stepfather, and of the bloodline of the Virgin Mary, the royal line through Nathan to David, all the way back to Adam, he the second Adam. The closer you look at the Word of God, the more amazed you will be. So what can we say? Let's look at it more. Let's be amazed more. Let's give ourselves daily to studying the Word that we'll know the Scriptures and be more amazed at our Savior and the wonder of what He has done, even as we move into these Christmas days. There's a second great encouragement. Not only is God our God, a God of details, as seen in the genealogy, but, but, oh, let me back up. One other thing. I don't want to miss this. Look at B under Roman number 1. Yeah, I, I've said this before in days gone by. The two genealogies solve the great problem of the curse of Jeconiah. In, in Matthew chapter 111, in Jeremiah 22, verse 30, you can check that out later. The Lord said to the last legitimate sitting king of David before the Babylon construction the, uh, uh, of, of deportment and destruction of Jerusalem, the Lord said, none of uh, his offspring, King Jeconiah, would ever sit on the throne of David. Now, this is an enormous problem. You have the promise made in 2 Samuel 7 to David that his heir would be the Christ, in essence. And then through his bloodline, you have Jeconiah. Through his disobedience, Jeremiah, God speaks to him, says, never will one of your heirs sit on the throne. Now that is a conundrum that only God could solve. I mean, it's an apparent con a problem with no solution. And it's the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ alone that solves that problem. Here's the problem. Well, let me put it this way. Messiah is to come out of the loins of David, yet not through the line of Joseph because of the curse on Jeconiah. So Jesus must inherit the throne through the royal line of Solomon, yet he dare not be of the seed of that line. The only solution was for Messiah to be born of a virgin, one who would be a descendant of David who marries a man of the royal line of Solomon, making the husband Joseph the legal father. I'm telling you, God is a God of detail, even seen through his, the only answer to this, to this problem of the curse upon the Jeconiah. A second, quickly, our God does the impossible. Our God is the God of the impossible, as Jesus is born of Mary the Virgin. For what is impossible for us is possible with Almighty God who created everything from nothing. Now Matthew tells us in Jesus' family tree that Jesus was born only of Mary. In verse 16, we see this. Look at the words. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom? Now you can underline or circle the words of whom was born Jesus, who was called Christ. Of whom, in the, in the Greek language, has masculine and has feminine gender in the, in the formation of uh, the various nouns and pronouns, and even pronoun and relative pronouns. And that's what you have here. You have a feminine relative pronoun. It means that uh, it, the child that was born was totally of the woman, the feminine. Some of you have studied French and Spanish and some of the other languages, the 
the Romance languages and, and even some of the dead languages, maybe Latin, and you understand there are masculine and feminine forms in that. And such is the case in the Greek of that day. And Matthew couldn't be any more explicit in saying that uh, the child came solely from the female, from Mary. And that was it, born only of the woman. And it's not a surprise because uh, Moses had written that uh, Genesis 3.15, the one who would be born, this deliverer, would be the seed of the woman. The only problem with that is, is that a woman does not have seed. Uh, the word sperm is a Greek word. Spermatos means seed, a farmer's seed for his field. A man is, uh, uh, is the one who bears seed. The woman, by nature, in her ovaries, has her eggs. And to say a woman, the seed of a woman, is to talk about something that is, shall we say, highly unusual. Shall we say, it's even more than that. It's unique, and it's right. For no one was ever born a woman alone, save the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is what Matthew is referring to, even in his genealogy. Our God is a God of the impossible. A few verses later, in case you were wondering, did Matthew really mean that? He goes on and gives us a little more detail in verse 118. And this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was engaged or pledged to be married to Joseph. And before they came together in sexual union, she was a virgin, you see. She was found to be with child through the agency of the Holy Spirit. And he clarifies in case you had any lingering doubts. Well, B, it's natural to think that Luke being the beloved physician, giving himself to the study of the human body and to illness and to health and to wellness, would even be more concerned and more focused on the phenomena of a virgin birth. And if you thought that, you would be right, for he does. Luke tells us of Mary's bewilderment at the thought of being pregnant since she was a virgin. And if you look at Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, Go back to chapter 1, and you'll see the announcement there at Nazareth by the angel to, the, to uh, Mary, who's a young maiden at this point, tender-hearted, regenerate, loved the Lord, pure, and er pure, a sinner that needed to be saved, was regenerate, and yet uh, was a virgin. And probably, some say 14, 15, 16, maybe 17, but probably not 17, in a day where folks did not live very long, uh, if you lived to be 50, you were really an old-timer in many areas. Think of all the babies that died in their, in their, in their infancy and others, and, uh, the medical and the pharmaceutical things that we enjoy today that extend life, and that didn't have much of that in that day. And Mary, when she's approached, expresses her utter bewilderment in 134, her response to, the, to, the, uh, to this announcement that she's going to be with child is perfectly filled with innocence and candor, and you can, you can, it, it's, it, it's realistic to the nth degree. The angel said, verse 32, and he, the Lord Jesus, will be great, will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. And look at verse 34. How will this be? She's bewildered. Mary asked the angel, since I am a Parthenos, a virgin. The word means exactly that, a woman who had never known a man sexually. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. And so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Look at verse 37. This is the key. For nothing is impossible with God. You see, our God does the impossible. And the genealogy shouts that to us. Most things are beyond us. We say, well, is that possible? I don't think so. Impossible, right? Our God does the impossible. 
It wasn't too hard. He didn't have to work it up. He didn't have to work out. Some of you have run, Mark, you've run in marathons. Some of you have done other type of things. Got to work up to it. God never even had to work up to it. He's almighty, able to do whatsoever he wills at any moment. Nobody counseled him. Nobody had to help him. The plan of the ages. And there she is, through this miracle of miracles. And she is pregnant with this one who would be the Lord Jesus Christ. How can this be? It's a miracle. Well, Luke tells us that Jesus was the son. Look at verse, the genealogy, so it was thought. Look back in chapter 3, verse 23. I love the way he puts this. 3.23 in the genealogy, going through right at the beginning. Now Jesus himself, about 30 years old when he began the ministry, and he was the son, so it was thought, of Joseph. There the physician lays it out, tells us of this sacred, wonderful entrance of the divine into human life, where nothing is impossible with God. Nothing. 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 The Lord does the impossible. Well, that ought to encourage us, shouldn't it? Our God is the God of the impossible. In fact, He delights in showing Himself strong to those who are weak and those who trust Him. We're all weak, but we just pretend ourselves we're not. We do, don't we? But we're all puny and small and frail. Incredible. We need God's grace. Ask and seek and knock. And the normal way we do that is God says, call on me and I'll show myself to you. I don't know what your needs are. But the God of Christmas, the God of the genealogies, the God of the impossible... He's there, and he says, ask. I'm just an opportunist enough to say, Lord, I'll take you, take you at your word and ask, and, and ask for great things. What are the needs in your life? You say, it's impossible. Some of you need some work. Some of you are worried about work. Keep praying. Keep seeking. Wait on the Lord for that. Trust him in that. Close the door. Get on your knees. Call out to God. He hasn't forgotten you. The God of Christmas is the God of the impossible. He's the God of the details. Do that, and he'll reward you. He's the one who rewards those who earnestly seek him. Hebrews chapter 11. I don't know what your needs are. Maybe it's a physical need. We believe that God, God heals. Now, normally he uses secondary methods and all of those kind of things medicines and medical know-how and all that kind of thing. And that's the way God normally, providentially, runs this world. That's his governance. But he's not limited by that. Do not think the world is a closed box. God is outside of it. Say, like, oh, I wish I could just get involved with it. Anytime, at any moment, he can break in and rearrange and do whatever he wants. As he did on this occasion, the supernatural conception of the Virgin Mary. I'm saying there's a great message here for you. I don't know what your needs are, but I know if you're like me, and like most folks, we have a whole bunch of them in our families, in our communities, and so we need to seek the God of the impossible. Well, with Him, all things are possible. You say, are you really sure? Yes. He spoke the Word, and creation came into being from nothing. Think about that one. I think he's able. We teach that to our kids, don't we? He's able. He's able. I know he's able. I know my Lord is able to carry me through. He is. Trust him. He takes us through the valley, sometimes turns out the light to see if we're really trusting and gives us a chance to exercise our faith muscles or they'll end up shriveling up our tendency. He's able. He's almighty. Trust him. He's the God of the impossible. Mary found that out, and so should you. There's a third and final encouragement. 
that we see from the family tree of, of the Lord Jesus that our God is a God of grace. As seen in the women who were listed in this family tree. Now, I will say, it's very unusual that uh, any women should be mentioned at all in any genealogy. Now, that's not a sexist statement, but a, a statement of ancient uh, history that just didn't happen. It was from father to father to father to father is the way that the genealogies were recorded. But God in His grace includes, uh, in addition to Mary, four women. And uh, I say to you, it shouts to us the grace of God that we so love, don't we? We love it so much. It's the name of our church family, Grace, Community Church. Grace, grace means gifts, undeserved gifts, and that these ladies typify it. Look at the ladies in, that are mentioned or alluded to in Matthew 1.3. We find the first one. You can circle Tamar. Tamar was a woman who seduced Judah, her father-in-law. How about that? And bore twins through this incestuous relationship, the sin. And gives birth to the twins, and Judah's twins, his, his sons through Tamar, or Perez, and Zerah, and they're both listed in the genealogy. Perez becomes part of the line of Jesus. How about that? The fruit of an incestuous relationship, a son, becomes part of the human family tree, if you will, of the Lord Jesus. Now, it's one thing for you and I to say, I didn't decide what family I would be born in. I'm certain the Lord, I have talked to him about it because I think he messed up and I was born in the wrong family, <laughs> Right? I got news for you. We're all probably of the similar type thing. It's the root that's the problem, and we all came from the same one. But God had this in mind, you see. He could have sent his own son into any family that he chose. He's the designer, the creator, the maker, and the very fact that he would so design and orchestrate his son to have this sort of family lineage, I say, what's the message? Don't miss it. It's a message that our God is a God of grace. And the very fact that you're sitting here and I'm here shouts great grace, that God should so have Tamar. And I don't want to be tough on the ladies here. Sometimes I've taught this in days gone by, and they say, how come you're so hard on the ladies here? The men here, some of them are absolutely horrible if, uh, if we took the time and I know some of you say, well, let's take the time. But <laughs> it's, it's just as bad. really. I mean, it's just as bad or worse. But we'll highlight the lady. Look at B, Rahab. Rahab, uh, how about the epithet? The harlot. How, be careful what you do with your life and what you do early. Have you ever noticed that? The things you do early stick with you. You form a reputation by the things you do, and then you have to spend the rest of your life living it down. This poor woman is Rahab the... Yeah, the poor thing. I mean, she was wonderfully saved, added to the family of the lineage of Jesus, but what we still refer to as Rahab the... Some of you aren't sure yet. I mean, that's right, Rahab the harlot. Pornia, she was the harlot of Joshua's day, and we find in five that uh, she's in included here. Uh, Rahab, uh, she became part of Jesus' family tree. Uh, she was, had been a professional woman of the streets in pagan Jericho, a Canaanite, and uh, she was wonderfully added to the family line of the Lord Jesus Christ. Rahab the harlot. I mean, who would you add as a part of one of the ancestors of your son if you were going to cause him to be born? Wow, Tamar, Rahab. How about Ruth? Look at 1.5. Here we have Ruth, whose mother was Ruth. There it is. Very unusual that a woman be listed, but there she is. She's a foreigner. But even worse, she's a, she's a Moabitess. What is that? You go like, well, oh my word, that sounds bad. Well, the Moabites were to be forever excluded from at least up to 10 generations from the nation of Israel. Here, here's the good news again. The Moabites says, where did they come from? Well, they were the offspring of incest between Lot. Remember Lot lived in Sodom? 
and came out of that with his daughters, and they thought the whole world had ended, and they got a lot drunk, and the one slept with them one night, one slept with their father the next night. They both got pregnant, and one of the ones bore Moab. And that his descendants are the Moabites, and, and God's great. I have Genesis 19, you check that out later, the exact accounting of that. And here's Ruth, born in this foreign, outside of the covenant of Israel, alien, if you will, brought near, included in through the kinsman redeemer Boaz, who is a picture of Christ, our great kinsman redeemer, the Goyal, Ruth. I'm telling you, it shouts to us from the root, what grace of God. And finally, D, Bathsheba, we all know of her. She's the adulteress who fornicated with King David in 2 Samuel. She is listed by reference in Matthew 1.6, where it talks about whose mother, she's not named, but whose mother had been Uriah's, there's her husband that David had killed, Uriah's wife. She, through David, gave birth to both Solomon and Nathan, who were the fork and the branch of Jesus' family tree, one producing, uh, one of the sons produced Solomon, the royal line, Joseph's line, Nathan, the third son, producing the bloodline to which Mary was, and that's why they made their way to the city of David to be taxed, because they were both of the house and the lineage of their great-grandfather, David. I'm saying to you, what grace? Isn't it grace? It is grace. God is in the details, and He is. God is a God of the impossible, and He does. God is a God of grace, and that He has saved you, and He's saved me, and He's added such uh, cronies and, and degenerates and wicked people that deserve hell like you and like me. I mean, we smell good and look good, and you certainly do today. But we are, I'm telling you, we were born outside the camp. And God brought us near. It's His grace that we should be in the family of God and of, of sons of God and, and join heirs with Christ. It's grace. It's grace. You'll not say, well, I was a good guy. You won't even show up there if that's what you're counting on. It's grace. It's grace. Amazing grace. Lessons for our life. What can we say? Be encouraged. All the details of life, that is, of your life, have been designed by God who is the God of detail. He is. Be amazed. Take a step back and look at it all unfolding in the drama of your life and mine. It's amazing. We don't get off the treadmill to think about it enough. We don't. We're trying to throw one foot in the next because the treadmill's moving, right? We're going to fall off it. But take a stop and think about life and the wonder of it, the beauty of it, the glory of it. Our God is a God of detail. In the natural realm as well as in the Word and in your life. It's amazing. It's amazing. Number two, rest daily in the Lord and our Lord who is able to do the impossible. I don't know what heartaches that you carry. I know some of them, but only a few, I'm sure. Pray and seek God in prayer. He is the God of the impossible. He is. I don't know what your needs are, but lay them at the feet of Jesus. Do that every day. Cry out to Him. The fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman avails much. God has designed it that way. He's the God of the impossible. You have loved ones that need to be saved. Cry out to God their names and bring them before the throne of grace. And the multitude of needs that you and I have. Let's do that. We say we believe He's the God who's almighty. <clears throat> we see He's the God of the impossible now let's put on our track shoes and practice that in our lives. Let's not get to heaven and God say to us, you know, you, you sang that I was almighty and you sang that I was Jehovah, but boy, you never asked me for much. 
Let's go for it. Number three, celebrate this Christmas, the grace of God. The grace of God in giving us his son with great freshness and vitality. The lineage of such characters, these women, those men, <laughs> the grace of God. Wow. And finally, today, let me urge you to ask Jesus to save you from your sin. If you've never been saved, I got news for you. The Bible says you're lost. You must be born again. Lord Jesus, simply pray, be merciful unto me, a sinner, and receive you as my Lord and as my Savior. And you can receive the greatest gift, the true gift of what Christmas is all about, your receiving of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, our family trees. Now, if, if you are related to Abraham Lincoln, don't come up after the service and tell me that, okay? And maybe John Wilkes Booth would be the truth of it, you know, <laughs> the reality. Or George Washington, or some of these, unless it's someone great like Jonathan Edwards, I'd like to hear that. Or John Calvin, some of these, you know. I've, Luther's my great cousin, you know. I'd love to hear that, you know. But most of us have a lot of skeletons in the closet. We best just keep that door shut. Let's be glad we're adopted into the family of God through God's great plan and the sending of his own son. And that's what Christmas is all about. Shall we stand? Christmas?